Welcome to Murder Bucket. I'm your host, Hannah, and this is the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days In, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Good evening and welcome back to Murder Bucket. It is a very cold Tuesday here in Maryland, and I will tell you why in just a few minutes. But first, I would like to tell you what we're talking about tonight. We have another episode in our cult miniseries. We will be discussing the Japanese-based cult, Aum Shinrikyo. And guess what? I have a special guest. Want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Zach, and I'm Hannah's husband. So, very quickly, like we always do, let's do our week-slash-weekend recap. Last week, what did we do? I don't really remember. <laughs> a whole lot. Oh, I got uh, my teeth cleaned on Thursday, yeah. and they numbed half my face. Then I went to the Asian market, which is a little ironic since we're talking about a Asian-based cult tonight. And then a friend of ours came over and made us dinner, which was delicious. Glass noodles that are always really good. We love glass noodles. And then Friday, both Zach and I were off of work, so we cleaned the house. Friday night was New Year's Eve, so we went over to our friend's house who watched our daughter and had a big New Year's Eve party. Then Saturday, we cooked brunch for all of our friends. Yeah, we had about 12 people over for brunch. It was fun. We had fruit. We had bacon, sausage, just regular eggs, eggs with salsa in them, and quiche. Yep. And Two of different kinds of quiche. Yeah. And of course, can't forget the mimosas. That was the best part. And Sunday was typically going to church. Then we went out to lunch. And... The reason why it's so cold here in Maryland right now is because Snowmageddon happened. Monday morning, it snowed, what, 8 to 10 inches here, and our county apparently was just not prepared. They didn't plow anything. They didn't salt the roads. So everything was a complete disaster. And I'm sure you've seen on the news where there have been people in Virginia on I-95, stuck there for over 12 hours. I mean, how ridiculous is that? So we've been here, stuck, Monday and Tuesday. My work was closed. My husband didn't go to work both days. Well, he did on Monday. Left really early before it started heavily snowing. And then when he tried to come home, he got stuck. So some guys graciously pulled him off of the black ice he was stuck on. And he got home after, what, two and a half hours driving? What should have been like a 45-minute drive took two and a half hours. Yeah, so ridiculous. But we're here. It's Tuesday. Let's stop talking about ourselves. 
and go ahead and get into tonight's episode. Om Shinrikyo, part one. And I'm just going to go ahead and start with, uh, dear Japanese people, please don't be mad at us. We're going to butcher every name we say today. Chuzo Matsumoto was born March 2nd, 1955. As an infant... He had infantile glaucoma, which made him lose all sight in his left eye, and he was partially blind in his right. He was sent to a school for the blind, and because he was the only partially sighted child at the school, he was a bully and took advantage of the other students. He would beat them up and extort them for money. In 1977, he graduated from school and began studying acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. He got married in 78 and fathered 12 children. In 81, he was convicted of practicing pharmacy without a license, got a large fine for that. His interest in religion began around that time. He dedicated most of his free time to studying various religious topics, such as Chinese astrology and Taoism. He changed his name to Shoko Asahara in 1984. In 1987, Shoko formed the movement known as Aum Shinrikyo in his one-bedroom apartment in Tokyo. Now, it started out as a yoga and meditation class and grew over the years. The name Aum Shinrikyo means supreme truth. Shoko believed that he was both Christ and the first enlightened one since Buddha. In 1989, it officially became a religious organization and began to attract many graduates from several elite universities and was dubbed a religion for the elite. These graduates were from academically pressured backgrounds who had similarly pressured careers ahead of them, and the cult promised them a more meaningful life. Shoko also became very obsessed with biblical prophecies. He would publish comics that attempted to tie its religious ideas to anime or manga themes. He also published several magazines, including one called Enjoy Happiness. An American psychiatrist and author, Robert Lifton, believes that the cult's publications using Christian and Buddhist ideas were to impress educated Japanese people who were not interested in traditional sermons. The Alm Salvation Plan was what the cult called their advertising and recruitment activities, During this, they claimed they could cure physical illnesses with health improvement techniques, could improve intelligence and positive thinking, and help people realize their life goals. To accomplish this, they would practice ancient teachings. All of these efforts made the cult become the fastest-growing religious cult in Japan's history. At the height of the cult, Om had well over tens of thousands of members worldwide. In an article from BBC.com, a former cult member says that they paid a huge amount of money for rituals involving Shoko's hair and bathwater, even though the cult urges its followers to reject materialism. In a 1996 book, The Cult at the End of the World, the terrifying story of the Om Doomsday Cult from the subways of Tokyo to the nuclear arsenals of Russia, authors David Kaplan and Andrew Marshall claim that the cult's practices were secret. David and Andrew state that during the initiation rituals, the cult used hallucinogenics such as LSD. It also included everything from renunciates being hung upside down to being given shock therapy. In the late 1980s, the cult started to attract controversy with their accusations of deception of recruits 
and holding their members against their will. They would force them to donate money. In February of 1989, they murdered two members because they tried leaving. In October of the same year, an anti-cult lawyer, Satsumi Sakamoto, was able to persuade Shoko to submit a blood test because he claimed he had special powers. Satsumi found nothing unusual which would mean disclosing this information would embarrass or even damage Shoko's reputation among his followers. Tokyo Broadcasting System Television taped an interview with Tetsumi regarding his anti-AM efforts. Without his knowledge, the network showed a video of the interview to several AM members. This broke its source of confidentiality. AM officials pressured the network to cancel the broadcast of the interview. On November 4, 1989, several members of the cult went to Tetsumi's home. With them, they had 14 hypodermic syringes and a supply of potassium chloride. At around 3 a.m., they entered his home and struck him with a hammer. His wife was beaten, and their 14-month-old son was injected with potassium chloride, and his face was covered with a cloth. While Tatsumi and his wife struggled, they were also injected. His wife died immediately. Tatsumi did not die as quickly, and therefore he was strangled to death. Their teeth were smashed, so identification would be harder. Their bodies were placed in metal drums and hidden in three separate places so that if their bodies were discovered, they wouldn't be connected. They then burned the bed sheets and the tools were dumped in the ocean. Six years after the murders, evidence of the cult's involvement were uncovered after several senior followers were arrested in connection with the Tokyo subway attacks. We will discuss that attack in just a little bit. Now, while the motivation for the murders was uncertain... One theory is that Shoko ordered the murders to prevent the disclosure of the test results that showed he had no special substance in his blood. Another theory is that the murders were designed to intimidate lawyers and plaintiffs and to end the potentially financial crippling lawsuits against Om. Four people were implicated in the murders of Tetsumi, his wife, and his child. The court concluded that the murders were committed by the order of the cult's founder, Shoko. His legal team, however, claimed that blaming him was an attempt to shift personal responsibility to a higher authority. When one of the members was being transferred by the police in April 1995, he was stabbed to death by a Korean assassin. Three of the remaining members were sentenced to death in 2000. In 2017, one of the convicted members wrote a memoir in prison to which he renounced his own beliefs, apologized to the family of his victims, and referred to Shoko as a criminal. He also wrote a letter expressing his belief that King John Nam, half-brother to North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, had died from VX poisoning, quantities of which the cult had produced and used in the 90s. One of the members was executed on July 6, 2018, and the other two were executed on July 26, 2018. The cult is also thought to have assassinated a few individuals that were critical of the cult, such as the heads of Buddhist sects Soka Gakkai and the Institute for Research in Human Happiness. The cult also attempted to assassinate cartoonist Yashinori Kobayashi because he began to make fun of the cult. In July of 1993, many cult members sprayed a large amount of anthrax spores from a cooling tower on the roof of Om Shinrikyo's Tokyo headquarters. 
Instead of causing an anthrax epidemic, it failed. The only thing that happened was a large number of people complained of a bad odor. The cult then started to manufacture the nerve agent sarin as well as VX gas at the end of 1993. They would test them on sheep at Banjwarn Station, a remote pastoral property in Western Australia. During their tests, they killed 29 sheep. Three judges were expected to rule against the cult in a lawsuit concerning a real estate dispute. The cult wanted to unleash an attack on them. They also wanted to test the efficiency of the sarin they had manufactured. On the evening of June 27, 94, members of the cult converted a refrigerator truck and released a cloud of sarin which floated near the home of the judges. The truck held a heating contraption that had been specifically designed to turn 12 liters of liquid sarin into aerosol and several fans to diffuse the aerosol into the neighborhood. At 11.30, the police received urgent reports from paramedics that casualties were being transported to the hospitals. The paramedics stated that the patients suffered from darkening vision, eye pain, headaches, nausea, diarrhea, and numbness in their hands. Some of them also described having seen a fog and a smell. In total, 274 people were treated. Two people died in the hospital almost immediately after they were admitted. Five people were discovered dead in their apartments. And another victim remained in a coma after 14 years and died in 2008. One day after the attack, in a pond near the scene, dead fish were discovered. Dead dogs, birds, and a large number of caterpillars were also found. Grass and trees began to wither and their leaves had discolored. Everything was within a radius of 150 meters or 492 feet from the center near the pond. Police focused their investigation on the husband of the victim that was left in a coma. He had a large amount of pesticides stored in his residence. A Japanese historian claimed that the nerve agent could be synthesized from pesticides. The media ended up dubbing him the Poison Gas Man. He received hate mail, death threats, and intense legal pressure. It was later proven the sarin used was not manufactured from pesticides found in his home. After the discovery, every major Japanese newspaper apologized to him, including those that had not named him a suspect. An anonymous tip was received by the police implicating the cult in the attack. It wasn't until after the Tokyo sarin attack that they were officially implicated. But again, we will get into that in just a little bit. In February 1995, several cult members kidnapped a 69-year-old brother of a member who escaped from the cult. They took him to a compound near Mount Fuji and killed him. His body was destroyed in a microwave-powered incinerator and then disposed of in a lake. Before he was abducted, he received several threatening phone calls demanding to know where his sister was. Also, before he was kidnapped, he left a note saying, If I disappear, I was abducted by Aum Shinrikyo. The cult also attempted to manufacture a thousand rifles, but managed to only complete one. Shoko wanted the cult to be self-sufficient in manufacturing copies of the AK-47, so one was smuggled in from Russia. Shoko believed that if they had one to study, 
they could reverse engineer and mass produce them. On April 6, 1995, police seized AK-47 components and blueprints from a vehicle that was used by cult members. The police planned to raid their facilities across Japan, but prosecutors believe Shoko was tipped off about them and he planned the Tokyo subway sarin attack to divert them. And now for the most significant event regarding Aum Shinrikyo, the Tokyo subway sarin attack. On March 20, 1995, five members of the cult launched a chemical attack on the Tokyo subway system during rush hour. They used liquid sarin contained in plastic bags that were wrapped in newspaper. Each member carried 30 fluid ounces in two separate packets. One member carried three packets, totaling 44 fluid ounces. The original plan was to spread the sarin as an aerosol, but decided not to go that route. The reasoning for this is that the aerosol dispersal reduced its effectiveness. Because sarin is the most volatile of the nerve agents, it can quickly and easily evaporate from a liquid to a vapor and spread. Anyone can be exposed to it even if they didn't come in contact with the liquid form. The first team, Aikyo Hayashi and Tomomo Itsu Naimi, were assigned to the Shayoda line. Hayashi was the perpetrator and Naimi was the getaway driver. Hayashi purchased a newspaper on the way to the station and decided to wrap the sarin packets in them. He boarded train A725K at 7.48 a.m. As the train was approaching the central business district of Chayota, he punctured one of his two bags and left the other untouched. He then exited the train. The train got down the line and after four stops, a station attendant disposed of the bag. After one more stop, the train was stopped, evacuated, and cleaned. Two people died on the Chayota line. The second team, Kenichi Hirose and Kayochi Katamura, were assigned to the Maronochi line. Kenichi bought a sports tabloid and wrapped the sarin in it. He boarded the second car on train A777. When he was going to release the sarin the first time, a schoolgirl noticed him messing with it. To avoid suspicion, he got off the train and moved to the third car. As it was approaching a station, he dropped the newspaper on the floor repeated an om mantra, and punctured both packets with so much force that he bent the tip of his umbrella. He then departed the train and left in the getaway car driven by Katamura. Because he was so clumsy with releasing the sarin, he poisoned himself. There was an antidote in the car that he administered to himself. Fourteen stops after the sarin was released, two severely injured people were carried out of the train car. A station attendant removed the packets. With the sarin still on the floor, the train continued. At 9.38 a.m., the train was taken out of service. One person died, and 358 were injured. The third team, Masoto Yokoyama and Ayotaka Tonozaki, were assigned to the other Marinochi line. Yokoyama purchased a newspaper to wrap his packets in. When he arrived at the station, he put on a wig and fake glasses. At 7.39 a.m., he boarded the fifth train on B802. When the train was approaching a station, he began poking his sarin packets. He fled the scene as soon as the train came to the next station. 
When he dropped them, one packet was left fully intact and the other was only punctured once. This resulted in the serum being released very slowly. When the train reached the end of the line at 8.30 a.m., it was fully evacuated and searched. The searchers failed to find the packets and the train departed again at 8.32 a.m. Well, they didn't look very hard, did they? After it departed, passengers began to fall ill and alerted the station attendants. The staff removed the sarin-soaked newspapers and mopped the floor. The train was pulled from service at 9.27 a.m. This attack resulted in no fatalities, but over 200 people were injured. The fourth team, Toro Toyota and Katsuya Takahashi, were assigned to the northeast-bound Hibiya line. Toyota purchased a newspaper and wrapped his packets in it. He then boarded the first car of train B711T at 7.59 a.m. While sitting close to the door, he set the sarin packets on the floor. When the train reached the first station, he punctured both packets and got off. He was only on the train for two minutes. After two stops, the passengers began to feel the effects. And by the third stop, the passengers began panicking. The first car was evacuated and several passengers were taken to a hospital. Even with the first car emptied, the train continued down the line for another stop until it was completely evacuated. This attack killed one person and injured 532 people. The fifth and final team, Yashuo Hayashi and Sugio Sugimoto, were assigned to the southwest-bound Hibiya line. Hayashi had his two original packets as well as the flawed packet from the third team. He wanted to prove his loyalty to the cult. Hayashi boarded the third car on train A720S at 7.43 a.m. and immediately dropped his packets on the floor. Two stops later, he punctured two of the three packets, left the train, and went back to Alm headquarters. By the third stop, passengers began to feel the effects. One passenger noticed the large liquid-soaked package on the floor and kicked it out of the train and onto the subway platform. Four people in the station died as a result of this. There was still a large puddle of sarin on the floor of the train car. At 8.10 a.m., a passenger pressed the emergency stop button. The train was in a tunnel at this time and was forced to go to another station where many passengers stumbled out of the cars and collapsed on the platform. The train was then taken out of service. At first, the attack was believed to be an explosion and was labeled as such in several media reports. Station attendees stated that the attack was not an explosion, but a chemical attack. At 8.35 a.m., the Hibia line was completely shut down and the remaining passengers were evacuated. This attack killed 10 people and injured 275. Many witnesses on the Hibia line stated that the subway entrances resembled battlefields as people were trying to evacuate. In total, 278 hospitals saw 5,510 patients. 17 of those were in critical condition, 37 in severe condition, and 984 were moderately ill. The rest were deemed worried well. Some of those people went to work without realizing they were sick. Once their symptoms started to worsen, they sought medical treatment. By midday, those who were mildly affected were released from the hospital. Most of them remained there overnight and were released the next day. Fourteen people died as a result of the attack. 
Next week, we're going to go over a little bit of background on each of the cult members who were involved in the attack, the criticism emergency services received, several scholars that came to the cult's defense, and what Alm is like today and their influence in pop culture. And that concludes tonight's episode. Zachary will be back next week for part two. Yep. Thanks for listening to tonight's episode, and I hope you have enjoyed our special guest. Before you go, please check out this promo from my friends at Bring the Mio Podcast. Cheers! Hey, Mio Squad, it's four best friends from Arizona. We love to get together, have a great time, and get lit. We bring the Mio wherever we go. Our signature drink is vodka and Mio. Mio is a flavor enhancer, and it's a game changer. Game changer. We pregame with Mio, and we talk about all that explicit shit. We talk about a lot of sex and alcohol, so if you're ready, come on, stop by. If you're ready for a down-ass time, check us out on Apple Podcast and Spreaker. We drop that good shit every Friday. Follow us on Insta, Twitter, and... TikTok. Hey! At Bring the Mio. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you have enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Murdbucket, Twitter at The Murder Bucket, and Facebook at Bucket Murd. Check out weekly posts regarding new episodes and chime in on the weekend slash week recaps. I would love to get to know you better. Have a great day.